Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you're in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Today's guest is Greg Patch. Greg is the Vice President of the Site and International Groups for LJA Engineering. For context, LJA is an employee-owned company that has over 1,200 employees. As for Greg, he has spent his life in the engineering construction world, from development side to the astounding engineering firms we're going to hear about today. Greg has done it all. Seriously, though, from age 18 up until now, Greg has been doing something about building something. In his younger days, he was a craftsman, or sorry, a draftsman. He even laid concrete as he was going through college. He opened and grew the Houston office of LJA and now manages a team there that is, uh, he is molding into the next great generation of great engineers. And if Greg's experience has not impressed you yet, perhaps the fact that the Houston Chronicle has recognized LJA as the top place to work for 2021. Number one, numero uno, nobody in front of you. Greg, with that said, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm blushing here. So uh, quite an introduction. I'll I'll leave with a little bit of a clarification. LJA has been around for 50 years. So the (laughs) company that I was recruited to in Houston is the one that I started from scratch. And then I moved over to LJA. So they've been around 50 years. I was pretty young back then. So just as a clarification. Okay. Well, beautiful. I love I love it. So with all of my uh, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful backstory of you, let's hear it from you, though. Tell us about you and tell us about your career highlights and obviously how you got into LJA. But like, let's hear your background story, Greg. Well, you know, I started uh, right out of high school as a uh, draftsman. So I started working for a restaurant chain. And I started there doing designs for, you know, both uh, architectural and engineering and uh, basically was prospered there for about eight years. Uh, When I started with them, we were opening a store a day. And when I left, we were opening a, I'm sorry, when we started with them, we were doing 36 stores a year. When I left, they were doing a store a day. So the advantage of that was I was doing site engineering. So uh, if you open up 365 stores a year, you're probably looking at 1,500 sites a year. So a tremendous amount of experience of what not to do when buying property and developing it and all the horror stories that go with it, but tremendous opportunity. Uh, I had saved enough money working for them for seven years. I had enough money to put myself through college, and I went back to L.A. I actually was in Chicago when I left them. Went back to L.A., was able to get my degree company I was with at the uh, restaurant chain went bankrupt. So all of the money that I had in stock went away. And that's how I became a concrete finisher and a carpenter, like after the first 12 months of going to college. But that in itself was a great education. Also, I'm actually a quite proficient concrete finisher. So, but that also leaned into that. I started when the last year of college, I started working for the largest developer, actually the largest privately owned commercial industrial developer in the U.S. And from there, I was both civil engineering administrator, but I also rolled into construction management, uh, probably have built somewhere in the order of five to 600 million in office warehouse uh, infrastructure. And then from there, I actually 
had a short stint with the largest developer from Taiwan who did a midnight move out. Uh, but all of the projects were in Vegas, and that's how I ended up going to Vegas. And in Vegas, uh, had a great opportunity, ended up getting hired by the largest engineering firm in the state, and pretty well went from a project manager to a senior manager to a vice president to a senior vice president. And so when I left them, I was a senior vice president uh, for the largest firm and then was recruited to open an office for another engineering firm in Houston. And uh, I went in and started an office from scratch. Me and a secretary uh, worked at that for about five or six years. When we left, we were up to 30, 40 people uh, and then got hired, which I considered to be the greatest firm anyone could work for, which is LJA Engineering, where is where I'm at right now. So I've uh, done it, you know, both the construction development, the engineering business development, trying to build a organization, a little bit of everything. You, they should have an award when you do uh, both sides of the, the business or maybe maybe three or four sides of the business when it comes to building. You should get an award for that. That's what I think. So, well, tell us a little bit more about LJA. Why is it so great? Why it, is it the, the best place to work? Uh, you know, obviously a big part of it, I could say, are the people. We were ranked as the best place to work in Houston, although we have 28 offices. We are an employee-owned firm and having experience with other firms that were not it is an employee-owned firm, which gives tremendous opportunities for both growth and for compensation. I will just tell you that we announced our stock values last week, and it went up by $100 a share. Every employee in the company is gets stock, and that affects every employer, every employee in our organization. And that is such a tremendous thing for people that come to work for us. I have worked for firms where most of the money went to the top. Uh, we are an employee-owned firm, and uh, I can't say enough about it. We're, you know, also again ranked within the top ENR 500. I'm sorry, now we're within the top 100. So we just had tremendous sex. We're continuing to grow. Um, I just can't say enough about how what a great firm this is. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, wow. That, that didn't know that fact. So you're blowing our no, minds here. Uh, <laughs> that just came out last week. And of course, there was quite the party among all of the employees on that one. Oh, that's great. That's amazing to hear. So congrats to you and, and all of your team, the many. So tell us a little bit about how working on both sides, developer side, engineering firm side, it's kind of helped you and, and really give you that path, that career path that you've been on. You know, I guess I've, I, you know, I can sit across the aisle from a developer, and in some cases, I've actually done his job longer than he has. I will tell you that that gives you a certain amount of clout. That also just brings a certain amount of understanding. And so much of our business is really common sense, but to understand the other side, uh, I think one of the things that I've always been somewhat fortunate my tingly senses start going off before the client is. And I'm making sure that our younger staff is like, guys, you need to understand, you know, I'm sure that this is what the client is feeling and you guys need to address that. And I say that, I mean, you know, sometimes a client will call and say, I haven't heard from you guys. And maybe my, one of my young folks will say, I have anything news to say. I said, that is news in itself. 
you need to keep the client to where he should never be calling you for updates. He should always feel that you're updating him, even if it's to say, I've got a call into the city. I haven't heard back. We are continuing to try. Uh, those are the things that I would tend to say. I tend to be very keen on where I think that client is thinking and trying to teach the staff to make sure that they're thinking in a like manner. So I got a question. Would you say that your business is really in the business of setting expectations and you just happen to be doing uh, engineering work? Very much so. You know, we are a people business. It really, uh, you know, I, I can't say we're producing widgets, but if a firm hires you to do grading design or whatever it is, it's kind of like when you go to a dentist, you expect he knows how to do and fill cavities. So that's a given. So in our business, it truly is performance driven. And that is, do you know what you're doing? Are you organized? Are you going to meet the deadlines? Are you asking the questions early enough so they're not problems late enough? Um, you know, I tell our guys, it's not a mystery on how we make water run downhill uh, and a lot of it. So what we really are really making sure is we know our business. We know it needs to be done. Timing is everything. Uh, getting things approved quickly is everything. Um, and that really is, I think, what you have to sell. Um, as you know, engineers don't generally get the opportunity to do projects all over the country. Many of the people want a local engineer that knows the system, knows the process, and knows the people. And that really is a really big part of what an engineer really needs to get pretty savvy about. And, and me having traveled around the country, I may walk into a state and I know no one. I know I'm at a disadvantage, so I had better figure out a way to get just as knowledgeable as them. And there are ways you can do that if you're into a new area. Interesting. So you obviously lead a team now. Uh, if you had to give a younger engineer uh, that's trying to make a name for themselves or trying to become uh, you know, the next you, what, what kind of advice would you give them? probably at a, a lot of different levels. Number one, we are a people business. You know, it is interesting because no matter who I hire, it's really my client that determines whether or not they're going to be able to work with them. So there is a people business. Uh, first impressions are still lasting, and I've always said that. Uh, the other thing that I look at, we are a common sense business. Uh, that's the one thing that I tend to promote with the young folks. If you don't know how to get it done, go out on a weekend and go walk a job site or take a day off and go visit with the city. Uh, you know, you always hear that sometimes experts are really kind of self-proclaimed uh, to be experts. The realities of our business is there is a lot you can learn just of your own hustle. And that is if there's, if you're in a city and there's a design guideline, read it from front to cover. Most of the engineers don't. If you wanna know about the entitlement process, Take a day off, go visit every group at the city, shake their hands, get to know them, because you'll probably find out you might end up in the end of, at the end of a few months, know more people over there than the guys that are just sitting in the office. So there's a lot of things that you can do yourself that really can get you right into the game. It is a people business. You want to know the people you're dealing with. Uh, but we are a common sense business. And, and I think you know, I even learned this the hard way. I was kind of, my family comes from a bunch of factory workers and in the auto industry. And 
the advice I was given, work hard, you'll get ahead, which is very true. And it's a great thing. And if you look at success of anybody, they generally have one of the higher work ethics, but you'll go a lot farther if you work on the relationship side of it too. And that was something I probably learned a little bit later in life that uh, um, how important those are, because I always said, if I'm the best at the best, then they'll want me to do their work just because we're so good at it, which has a lot of merit and it's true, but you'll do even better if you work on the relationship side of it just as much. Sounds like previous podcast episode, we had talked about trust. Competency is uh, one aspect to that, but there's still a relationship uh, aspect in order to be able to have that trust. So even though two completely different people still saying the same thing, that's super cool to hear. Well, and I'd mentioned to you that, you know, in our business, there's two clients. There's one that says, you know, Greg, I don't ever need to go to dinner with you. You don't have to, you know, do this and the other thing. If you guys keep doing the quality of the work you guys are doing, you'll have a job forever. And then I mentioned before, and then there's the client that says, who's got tickets to the Super Bowl? I mean, you need to, <laughs> you need to figure out which one of them are. The one thing, and one thing that kind of struck me, this goes back years ago, uh, when I was in Vegas and I left Vegas and I was going to Houston, uh, I took some of my best clients out to dinner afterwards. And one of them was Howard Hughes. We did most of Howard Hughes's work uh, in Nevada. And two of the guys who I had done work for for 10 years, one of them I took out to dinner in uh, Frank. And we sat there, had a great time at dinner. I'd never done that before. And this was kind of a farewell dinner, farewell dinner. And he looked at me, he says, you know, Greg, honestly, I wish we had done this a lot more often. And again, it was kind of noted that, uh, and, and, and I got told by three different clients that very same thing. Now, granted, I had done all of their work. We did a great job at it, but it kind of emphasized to me, and this goes back 20 years ago, it kind of really hit me on the, the ability of, of, of that relationship. And uh, it was a good relationship, but I could have probably made it even a better relationship, but I, that kind of stuck with me when they said, I wish we had done this a lot more while you were here. Ooh, I hope, I hope, I hope listeners are, are listening to that, 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 that is a really great nugget working on those relationships. So not to have regrets like Greg here, but sounds like you learned, learned from that. And I still had the great success. So that's the, number one, you gotta be good at what you do. You do what you say, say what you do. Never lie to a client, bust your butt every way you can, but make sure you work on the relationship too. Well said. Couldn't agree more. We actually, we have a theme, right? So we, we have a theme every year. And for us, our theme is relationships this year. It's something that we want to obviously just work on and still just, you can always get better, right? You know, we continuous improvements, one of our core values, you can always get better at things. And this year, uh, working on relationships, certainly on our list. So let's talk about you opening up uh, the office in Houston, which is not LJA. Uh, it is it was a different uh, firm. Right. But let's talk about the learning lessons that come from opening up an office from the ground up. Well, you got to take it even further that I had never even done a project in Texas yet. And a long story short, I was originally going to open uh, work in an office in Virginia. Something had changed. I decided I was going to Houston. Uh, the partners had said, we don't even have an office in Houston, Greg. And I said, look, I'm, I'm going there for a specific reason. And they said, all right, we sat down last night and we decided to heck with it. Greg Patch, you're going to open an office in Texas and in Houston 
even though you've never been there. <laughs> and, uh, so that presents quite the challenge to say the least. Uh, I, I think the difference is I know my business. I know developments. Uh, you can't, you know, open 365 stores a year in different cities and not know how to figure out what's the critical path you need to go to. Because I knew construction, I can sit in front of anybody and be able to speak their language and know what their issues are. And just having been involved in that business. Now, I was opening it for a corporate office. So there was a corporate office to support. It was not in Houston, but it's, it's, it is a, I'll just tell you, it is a horrific task because you realize if you're, and this is true for engineering, if you're good at what you do, people want you to do more of it. And the difference was that is, so that means you've got to hire more people. That means you got to learn how to train people. That means you got to be good at writing proposals. Keep in mind, in our business, you become your own little entity within an entity. And the natural progression is if you're good at what you do, everybody wants you to do more of it. That being said, it's one thing when you're the only guy in the office, you have a tendency to sell a lot of business. I used to laugh at the president of that firm at the time. His comment to me was, I said, look, man, I got a lot of work coming in but I don't have the staff. And he says, Greg, I tell you what, you just fill up the wagon and we'll get the horses. And that was <laughs> kind of the analogy. And in some regard, they were helpful, but to go from zero to, you know, 28 to 20, I think we were over 32. To grow that is, is the, the, the issues you run into is just simply in the beginning, you were fortunate enough to find the work. You don't have enough bodies to get it all done. You're trying to hire the people. You're trying to keep the client happy. You're trying to meet the deadlines. And what it really means is, is to start an office from scratch, you may be working 60, 70 hour weeks. And there isn't any simple answer to it. And as it grows, it becomes easier. You have more staff to pull from. You have more people to say, I need you to put in overtime. Um, and it was interesting because I honestly, and this is going to be a poor analogy, you hear guys talking about how hard it is to do the Super Bowl a second time. I relate to that only in the regard that every year we exceeded expectations, every year we grew, every year we were more profitable and they kept saying, I need you to do it again. And our team was like, do they have any idea how hard it was to achieve what we just did? And uh, I, again, no real comparison, but at least the feeling of, do you all have any idea how hard this was? And, uh, and that's the thing you find, it, you tremendous amount of respect because the whole team had to just really work their fannies off. And uh, it's, a, it's a tough climb. It really is because it's tough to go from, you know, five to 10 to 15 to 20 to 20. You know, you have to change your management as your group grows. Um, what worked when you were three does not work when there's 10 of you and it didn't work when there's 20 of you. And you have to change what you do as you grow. Wow, sounds like we're talking about a common theme here of scale, building scale. Uh, I love how you're talking about that. I, Before we move on to the next question, I had something that I wanted to, as you were talking, kind of popped in my mind. What's most important, people, process, or technology? I'd tell you people. And okay. just, just to give you an idea, I am working with a lot of the high school kids. And so I decided they wanted to bring in a whole group of teachers that are working on trying to, you know, people that want to go into engineering. 
And so we were able to bring the teachers in to really show them the diversity of civil engineering. But what was interesting, I decided as a part of that, I would survey a hundred of our professional engineers, our PEs, and I would tell them to tell me the top five things that you feel are most important to be a successful engineer. Surprisingly enough, the number one was communication. And you know what nobody answered? Great at math and physics. <laughs> of course. These are engineers. Oh, wow. That's interesting. That, I mean, this goes back to obviously the common theme to this. That secret sauce by far is relationship building, communication, people doing those things right. Yes, the job is obviously math and physics. Like it's uh, that's the actual job, but that's just the that's just the part that you need to do because it's just the job. It's the other given. parts are the main part. Yeah, it's a given. There, like I said, you go to a dentist, you expect he knows how to fill a cavity. If you hire an engineer, I'm expecting you know engineering. Uh, so it's everything over and above that. But uh, I was surprised even with that. I, I probably thought that would be close to the top, but I did not expect out of 100 engineers, the number one answer overwhelmingly was communication. Well, yeah, I would completely agree. That is super surprising to me. I would assume that you'd still have some guys that were like, ah, you need to, you need to know the, the science to it. You need to know that math to it. Interesting. Uh, okay, so speaking about communication and relationships, how can you be as effective as possible when it comes to working with architects? You know, obviously, you guys have this kind of balance of you know things need to work properly, but we have a design aspect. How do you how do you get that to work right? Well, and it is an interesting thing because the one thing it's true in all of our business, there is a very natural set of checks and balances between the architect, the engineer, or the engineer in the city engineer and the client. As you might guess, everybody has their own passion. And we've made the joke about with architects, you know, we can walk into a meeting, they'll hold up, here's the site plan. And then they go, now let me show you the rendering of the building. And, and you're kind of like, okay, <laughs> can we just come back to the site plan for a minute? Let's talk about the slope of the property. Let's talk about the access points. Let's talk about the driveway locations. Let's talk about maybe the orientation. Let's kind of walk through that. And I, I think I gave you the example. We were doing a project in Nevada and an architect came up where we were going to do an office building but have pad sites for restaurants. The first time I saw it, I said, this will never work because their parking is way under for a restaurant site. And so we got into the meeting and the first thing I said, guys, I'll recommend, do you have a broker that works with the restaurant industry? And they said, yeah. I would have them look at it because quite honestly, you could build this office building and you will not be able to get rid of any of those pad sites because not a one of them will take it because there's not enough parking to support a restaurant. And that becomes a pretty important thing to vet that before you come up with your site plan. So there's always the natural balance. And in the, on the opposite side, you know, I had an architect send us a site plan. And I said, guys, do you realize there's 14 feet of fall across here? And it goes, guys, that's not my problem. That's for you to figure out. And I appreciated that, you know, my job was to try to figure out how to make his vision work as best I can and then show him with the plan you love, this is what you got to do. But here are some other ideas. But I appreciated that he just threw it right back and said, before you tell me that it's got slopes on it, you tell me 
can you make my plan work? And then if not, why? And I've always looked at it that our, as an engineer, our primary focus is to try to be a part of the team that's gonna help the architect and the client see the vision that they want. And where it can't work, what are the options? What are the alternatives? What are some suggestions? And then get through that process. But our first priority is to take what is given and do everything we can to see if we can make it work. You have you have a quote, isn't it? Like ninety percent of problems can be figured out before you break ground, before the project starts. Yeah, I mean, and we do that because, and one of the things that we look at is, uh, yeah, ninety percent of all of the issues that ever show up on a site were known at the time they started, and it really comes down to, from our aspect on the engineering side, do your homework, visit the site, look at your topo, review your proposal. What are the agency comments? What are anything you can see? And that should be collaborative. That should have all of your staff in that meeting that will be involved in the project. Or if it's a project in a different city and you haven't worked in that city, then bring in one of the guys that works in that city and really vet that whole thing because then go through a conceptual design, we call it grading utility. And that has all of the issues that you want to bring to the client. And the only, the only difference, we're going to go back to the difference of engineers. You can hand an architect a conceptual grading and utility plan, and they'll go, yeah, it looks fine to me, and they put it away. That's a big red flag. That tells you he didn't look at it. That tells you that he's going to go, oh, I had no idea. And sometimes we talk about where the engineer has to have the leadership. He has to say, no, guys, time out. I want to have a team call. I want to have a conference call. Let me swing by. Let me walk you through this design. Now, we don't expect architects to be able to read everything we do, but it's our job to point out what are the issues. And that's the thing. But almost in all cases, when an architect says, I looked at your grading, it looked fine. That's normally not true. And so that's just the checks and balances of our business. We try to get the architect to focus on the things that have a significant impact on the project that are not related to his building. So you've got checks and balances in your business, but you had said that people are the most important aspect out of the three, right? So how do you make sure that you have the people part right, especially with so many different personalities to interact with each other, right? How do you make sure that you have that, do you use any tools? Uh, within your company to make sure that, that stuff is right. I think you guys have heard me use the expression that I, lo I love the expression that when it comes to organizing a team, uh, it's make sure everybody's on the bus that should be there. Make sure anybody that's not on the bus gets on it and make sure everybody's in the right seat. That is something you work on. But and when we talk about, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, often is the case, it's the client that decides whether they want to work with one of our teams. And there's a lot of things that go into that. I happen to be in Texas, which is huge on colleges. I know in some cases, an A&M grad wants to work with another A&M grad. I know a Longhorn grad wants to work with another Longhorn. And those are things that do play into it. I have walked into clients where it was an entirely a female organization. The architect was a female. The manager was a female. The MEP was a female. It didn't take very long to figure out the best person for this role is probably one of the ladies in my group. And it worked out very well. You kind of have to, and then the other thing you find, you know, it's like golfers like golfers and hunters like hunters and fishermen like fishermen. 
you often find that those are sometimes where you find that commonality of the client and your staff. Sometimes those are things that you often find are kind of what the magic was. And if you assume you have a good staff, everybody's talented. So now it's a little bit more about matching up personalities. That's like baseball lineups. You know, when you're the lefties pitching, you have a different lineup than when the righties pitching. That's very interesting. Oh, man. Wow. And it's worked okay. out in, in most cases. I, I kind of laughed. I had gone to a meeting one day. And again, I'm not from Texas, so I wasn't into this. I mean, this is serious college rivalry. I walked into a meeting and the big thing is all the guys wear their class rings. And I walked in with one guy who had an A&M class ring and the other guy had a longhorn, which are kind of like arched competitors. And at the end of the meeting, when we left, the client called me back and he said, you know, you, you got an A&M guy that is the project manager. And just like that, I said, all right, you're out because this isn't going to work here, but let's bring in. And the A&M, or when I brought them in, I swear to God, they hugged each other. I, you know, I just, <laughs> like, you know, there is such a bond with the, sometimes I make the joke, I'll, I'll go to a meeting and it'll be an A&M guy and they go, didn't you graduate in 78? And I'm thinking, my God, you weren't even born. How do you know this stuff? But there is a, <laughs> there is a lot of that that goes on in Texas of all the schools. I mean, Texas Tech, U of H, uh, I was not accustomed to that when I first got here. So I had to learn that. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up um, because I've definitely heard, especially with uh, March Madness being over just now, there's some, I can tell you that uh, I've talked to some people that have had some broken hearts. <laughs> well, and when I was in LA, I was told that if you were not a USC graduate, you were not going to do any work within the city of Los Angeles. Wow. So, you know, that, that stuff plays, uh, you know, I, it, you know, I've always heard that your GPA is only good for your first job and everything else after that's performance related, but there's still some, uh, <laughs> it does matter what school you go to in certain areas. So I want to talk a little bit about process where people in process, you talked about a little bit before, which is what it looks like. It's different when you have, you know, three, three engineers, five engineers, seven engineers, but what about management style? communication what if you're going even further than that 25 people 50 people 100 people do you do you have experience with that what, what does that look like you know the experience that i have is just actually in part just watching when i started with lja we were at about 240 people and we're getting topping the scales at probably 300 and i'm sorry 1350 so tremendous growth um the company has always held the idea that we want to keep it as a sense of a family business. And we try to stay that as best you can, but you can imagine there's at some point it gets pretty corporate. And that is something that you try to, I, I will say the one thing that I find about our organization, and this is uh, true for the last two firms, they are very transparent. Uh, the one thing that I love about our firm and other firms, by way of example, every project manager that is billing work, his numbers are posted every month. We know who's making money and we know who's losing money. The idea with that is, is if anyone has any sense of pride, they want to be the guy that's making money. And so you have that. Um, I think the biggest thing you find is you do have to make sure that you're reaching out to all your employees. 
we will have a state of the union every month we have a division meeting we pull in everybody that's from a project management level is a part of that meeting we talk about the company growth we talk about where we're going we talk about you know what's new what's not things that are concerning and then even above that then we would have what we would call a senior division meeting which would be vice presidents and above and that may be involved at a little higher level of maybe we're talking about an acquisition maybe we're talking about some policy changes that would affect the company they go to that level and then below that i mean it is expected at the division meeting that we are sitting down everyone in the division meeting is then sitting down with their staff and going over what we're doing where we're going and then generally even at the division meetings and some of the other meetings we'll have the entire company uh, that can log in now that's the advantage of a team you can do that where that would have been a bit more difficult i would tell you because of covid it was far easier to have much better communication company-wide because you don't if you have 28 offices everybody can partake in that and i think that's a tremendous benefit uh, but that was uh, very transparent in the firm before that was very transparent and, and i think that's a real important part of your growth uh, is to make sure that the staff knows what's going on uh, again when we had every year we have a, what we call the stock sale party but we have the entire company we have pizza and we have a we actually everybody gets a chance to guess what the stock value will be each year and there's an award for who gets it the closest and we have a clock and we have a countdown like it's new year's eve and we're good 10 9 8 7 6 and boom we put the price up there that's and again that's a benefit to every person that works in our firm and, uh, and that gets people excited. And I, I it's, again, I, I can't say enough about what a great firm LJA is. I just, I've worked for a lot of engineering firms and by far, I think they've, they've got the secret sauce and the recipe for success. That is super cool that you have kind of that financial transparency. So that's sort of an inward uh, financial transparency, but in order to be able to do well, you also have to have an external financial transparency. You need to be able to forecast your projects, right? Because right. those are those are cycles. How do you do that? It is interesting because if you look at our firm, one of the things that we're most noted for is we are a firm that's involved in master plan communities. Very often our projects range from the woodlands is 25,000 acres, but I can just go down an entire list of all of the master plan communities we've worked on. Now, the two things- Hold on, hold on. Okay. Before you go any further, can you explain what master planning communities, what that is? Can you explain what that is? It's not everyone's- well, in, the, in the world of, of Houston, that means you create the infrastructure, the roadway, you do the roadway design, you're involved in the planning, you're involved in the detention, you're creating the wastewater treatment plant, you're creating the well sites. You are basically building a city and in the Houston market, you are doing everything from nuts to bolts for basically a civil engineering where everything you drive on is civil engineering. Whether it's the traffic signal, the intersection, the overpass, the water, the sewer, the storm, we are designing an entire master plan community infrastructure. Now, there may be another engineering firm that gets a piece of that pie, we understand that, but uh, that is kind of what we're known for in one aspect. But again, because we're full service, 
we have every aspect that it takes to develop a community, whether that's a hydrology group, a survey group, whether that's a wastewater group, a water plant group, whether it's a roadway or a traffic group, or we have everybody that it takes because we are a full service. But what you find in our organization is we have clients that we've had for 40 years. So kind of go back to that thing about the relationships. Many of our senior engineers have been here. They got out of college 25 years ago and they've never left. And that's a testimony to why we are such a good firm. But likewise, they've had these relationships for 25 years with our clients. Now, granted, you know, there's still a migration of people retiring or leaving or with the client side, but it is definitely that we have such great relationships with our clients. And, and we, you know, provide obviously the many services we have to provide, but in addition to that, you know, for a PE, you've got to have continuing ed credits. Every Monday we have continuing ed classes and we offer it to all of our clients that are engineers. And so they log on Mondays and we've got some presentation, might be a manufacturer, might be something, but we're always trying to be a service to the client. And, it, you know, sometimes do what you say, say what you do. Um, it, 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 it isn't all that complicated. Sometimes I, I had one guy that said, you know, the thing about management is sometimes it's embarrassingly simple and overly obvious. You know, there are some things that are just not such a mystery. And uh, people tend to lose sight of the basics are pretty simple. So if you've got, even if you have the basics covered and you've got the foundational things, surprises happen all the time, right? How do you handle surprises? Proposal needing to be done tomorrow type of situation. How do you handle stuff like that? You panic. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and part of that goes back to, you know, careful how you train your client. I mean, some of that is in our business, they somehow think that our pricing is somehow a crackerjack thing. It's 10 acres, here's your fee. It's 40 acres, here's your fee. You don't do that. I mean, you actually have to build a proposal because if you're really doing the best for your client, you know, when it comes to an agency review, which is part of your proposal, depends what agency the project's in. If I'm in one county, it might be very, very simple. If it's, uh, you know, California Coastal Commission, it might be three times the engineering fee. I mean, those are, <clears throat> you have to do that. So there's many things that go into it. The bottom line is most of us have spent many a night writing a proposal that we had less than 12 hours to prepare. And we make it a point to try to make it as accurate and as thorough as possible. You know, what every client hates is, this is everything I could think about on short notice. And if it's anything I forgot, it's an additional service. That is not the way we want to do business. And again, there's always the thing, careful how you train your client, because if it's repeat clients, you've trained them to know that I need more than a day. Um, and that's part of, I always say, careful how you train your clients. It's, uh, um, you know, you just, you just need to be careful with that. But when it happens, you try to prioritize and you always, you know, again, you've always got to juggle. I have work to do. I have plenty of work, but I need to keep filling the hopper with future work. You know, they always say, if you're running out of work and you're just starting to do your marketing, you're too late. You had better be doing that when you're busy as all get out. 
you have to keep going with that. And the other side of it is, is asking somebody asking you for a proposal is not a negative. You kind of have to say, this is good. This is good. I wish it would have had a little more time, but we'll do everything we can and we'll get that out to you. Rarely, if ever, if I said, guys, it's just not enough time and I can't get it done. It's very true. Um, you know, pipelines, when they're full, everybody loves it. But then when they start to dwindle down, if you start noticing that, well, then you're too late to the show. You got to always be prospecting, always be marketing and always be selling, uh, even when you are, you know, fat in the pipe, essentially. That's right. Because you always, you always got to, you know, in the business, you've got to make sure that, you know, single family developers run out of lots to build on. Um, where's the next project coming from? Uh, you've got projects that are all now just getting out of permitting and are go to construction. What's the next one? Um, we have a tendency to track that. Um, we're always looking at what's the billable work in front of us, what's the manpower and the staff, and how does that look with the work? And we track proposals every month. We track the success rate. We track what the backlog is, uh, especially because of the site work. Our projects are normally faster, quicker, than if it were a, you know, a subdivision project where it may go on for three years, our projects don't. Um, and and it, it won't be just that, it can be all kinds of things that come up where a building department just shut down a job site and the client's going, what's going on? And you're gonna, you know, the first priority, if it's a job under construction, you jump on that the minute it happens because if they got a backhoe operator sitting there charging you by the hour, and he needs some answers, you, you have to address construction issues immediately. And it's often something that's way out of left field that you know somebody didn't know, or you, you just, you have to deal with it, but you don't, you don't tell the client, I'm busy right now, can I get back to you tomorrow? Because um, we will have occasions where they'll say, guys, I got a whole crew out here and the inspector's got some question that we don't understand and you need to respond. So what systems do you guys use in terms of technology? What's really important for you? You know, everybody's different. Normally, you know, the spectrum of what people use really is just a matter of scale. Uh, by way of example, um, we had actually, we're, you know, we also do international work. Uh, we did the uh, Kaus University, which is the King Abdullah's University of Science and Technology. Uh, we've also, I am still one of the engineers for King Abdullah's Economic City. Uh, when you start doing a massive project like that, everybody's going to use the technology of what's the best scheduler, and everybody seems to have a different one. Uh, all of our contractors have, whether it's Procore or whatever it may be, they all have a different means of communicating because obviously with every project, the contractor is going to submit submittals. We have to review and approve it. They have a, a, a request at the field, there's a question. So all of our contractors generally use a different type of system. And so we've just gotta be, whether it's Newforma or any of the other ones, that tends to be pretty persuasive through the industry. For us, there are different programs we use for scheduling. A lot of these are pretty straightforward. So you don't have to have anything too complicated. You know, They call you up and say, you got 45 days to get it done. You really don't have to sit down and try to micromanage that. You just know all hands on deck, we got 45 days and you divide up the work that way. But 
generally it's a lot of it is the architects have all different formats that they want to work with and everyone's different i will tell you we have some of our clients are actually a developer but they also have their own construction arm uh, we deal with a lot of them that have that a lot of our multi-family clients are multi-family builders but they have a subsidiary and much to what i did in los, in los angeles Majestic Realty was our parent company. I worked for Commerce Construction, and we would build everything for the parent company, with some exceptions. I ended up doing work for outside clients, um, but that's not an unusual thing. So, um, you know, they all seem to have a different program they want to use in a different format. On our side, the biggest thing we'll look at is when are you closing on the deal? If we're doing due diligence, when do you have to come up with the non-refundable deposit what's your window for feasibility study uh what is the, the scheduled date for permit normally all of that's pretty well dictated by the architect and the developer we will plug in if there's anything we don't think works because uh, obviously we're in charge of the entitlement the mapping the approvals a lot of the entitlement processes in our uh, preview so we'll advise them as to the timing of such things um, if you do a tax credit deal, they need to have a recorded plat. Well, depending on what agency you're in, that may or may not be doable. So those are the kind of things. Uh, but ours is ours is not so complicated. Ours is pretty straightforward. They give us a date we need to get to, and that's what we work to. So what I'm hearing is if it isn't in the calendar, it doesn't exist. Well, it is for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I laughed and I, you know, I, I kind of chuckled at this. I, I have a great memory. I, I'm not one that has to think too hard about projects, but I laughed years ago. Paul McCartney came out with an album. It says memory almost full. And it was a curious thing to me because I have a policy. Remember that what you must and just get rid of the rest. I don't, I, you know, some people say I have to manage my own calendar. I don't. I have my secretary do it. I may have somebody say, we need to get six people on the phone. I'm not going to try to schedule that. My secretary will, because everybody's got a different schedule, different time. Now, what I do live off of, I review my calendar for the week. I review it with my secretary every night when, the, when we're done so that I don't have to think about what I got to do. I don't think about where I have to go. And because we looked at it on Monday morning, if I have a meeting on Wednesday, I will send out a confirmation. Just say, want to make sure we're going to meet on Wednesday. I have a breakfast meeting tomorrow morning that I will have that confirmed. So I don't generally have too many surprises, but I don't have to go, God, where am I supposed to be today? I... Now, if my calendar crashes, we're in big trouble. We are in dead big trouble. All right. But that is, I'm a big outlook guy. I'm, I, I will, I will run that little program as fast and as hard as I can, because it can do a lot of wonderful things. Yeah. Last two questions. First question, because I think you're, it's going to be interesting because you're an engineer. What's your favorite design or shape? My favorite design or shape? Now we're talking about design of say buildings. Sure. Well, I guess two things. Many of us that do what I do thought we wanted to be architects. And then we realized that we couldn't figure out if our shirt matched our tie or anything else. <laughs> and we realized we were incredibly functional 
people. Um, I tell people that because I'm in the site world, so everything I do is with an architect. I tell people it's kind of like wine. I know a good wine when I taste it, but I haven't got a clue how to make it. I know good architecture when I see it, and I know architecture that doesn't. I am privileged to work with some of the internationally recognized architects and the stuff they do is incredible. And for me, it is exciting to be a part of that process. It is exciting to hear all of the things. Um, I will just, as one quick example, um, we had to do a project for the Harris County Forensic Science Building. This is a morgue. And to listen to everything that goes into that process was fascinating. And one of the things that never occurred to me, you can have a person that was murdered and you can have the person that was doing the murdering both deceased and both families are going to that facility to pick up the possessions of their loved ones. And you sure as don't wanna have family A and family B sitting in the same room. Stuff like that would never occur to me. Or by way of example, when we did the design, in the event of a natural catastrophe, we had to have in that design enough for 20 semi-truck van refrigerated units. Because if the morgue is overflowing, they have to be able to store bodies in a conditioned cool space. Well, that's the part of our, our business that I so love. Um, even when I was in Saudi Arabia, the guy was designing multifamily units and he had one bedroom units and that was prohibited because a one bedroom unit was considered for single people. And in Saudi Arabia, single people and married couples are completely separate. Single men are not allowed to be around the families or especially single women. So uh, what I love about our business is it just, it's, it never fails of something we just finished the School of Technology. We just finished uh, Methodist Hospital. We just finished uh, San Jacinto's uh, uh, College of Osteopathic Medicine. Uh, the part I say about my business and the reason I ended up going from development to engineering is the variety of projects is fascinating and always interesting and always different. So I can't say there's a shape or size. I'm more intrigued by the things you learn by the diversity of the projects we work on. So last question. If you could go back in time 20 years, what would you tell yourself? Work on the, uh, work on the relationships. And that would be the thing that, again, I was kind of raised by my father that said, son, work hard and you'll get ahead. And that is absolutely true. But what I didn't realize is how much further you got when you work just as hard on developing the relationships. I was the type that said, I'll do the best that anyone can. It'll be the best engineered project. It will be on time. It will be in budget. And that I was, and that was a good part of my success, but I realized that it could be that much more had I looked at the relationship. And that means the relationship with the client, relationships with maybe public officials, relationships with organizations. You know, in our business, you could go to NAOP, you could go to ICSC. There's a lot of organizations that you could become involved in uh, and get involved to be on one of the teams. Uh, I, I'm a member of the U ULI, Urban Land Institute. 
ICSC is the International Conference of Shopping Centers, NAOP, National Office and Industrial Properties. Get involved in that stuff. Be visible, let people know you're there because it is through those relationships that you get the exposure that really opens up some really great opportunities. I've been very fortunate. I've had great opportunities. Most of the best opportunities have come since I realized those are important to develop those relationships. Greg, you spilled some great nuggets and thank you for your awesome wisdom. Well, thank you for having me. I can't say I'm deserving of this, but it's been really wonderful talking to you guys. And I'm happy to pair, you know, any knowledge I have, I, I try to pass that on. And for the people that are out there, civil engineering is such a great profession. You don't have to be great in math and science. And I just encourage everybody to consider it. And then again, the other thing we talked about, if anyone's interested in LJA, it's lja.com. Uh, take a look at the firm. It's a good firm. Yeah, we will drop that. Make sure we drop that in the show notes, lja.com. We'll drop in your LinkedIn there, Greg, as well. Is there uh, any other way somebody can get in contact with you if they wish to talk more to you? I mean, they can always, you know, email me. I'm actually, if you got onto our link, you'll see it's got all of the people that are in there. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, my email at the office is just gpatch at lja.com. So I'm fine with that if anyone's interested. But awesome. and LinkedIn, I'm, I'm there too. <laughs> absolutely uh also mm -hmm. one other relationship you forgot relationship with podcast guys like that's uh <laughs> hey i'm writing a book so maybe this will work yes. out down the road yes what i i said this uh i, I think i said this to sam clark <clears throat> i said he should write a book and um if you write a book greg we are we're happy to have you back you can promote that book we, we love it so um kudos to you I'll throw all that stuff in the show notes. Uh, is there anything else that you want to say to the people? Uh, no, just uh, again, I, I just, I, I just so much would just encourage people. There's too many people that are walking away from the technical sciences, and 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 I'll just I'll add one other little thing. When I told you I worked for an international firm from Taiwan, the one thing that they really impressed upon me is they said, you know, America is the most creative nation in the world. And when you think of our science, our technology, our music, whether it's country music, whether it's jazz, whether it's the internet. And the one thing that people realize, we're not the top in math, we're not the top in science. But if you look at everyone that's successful, you will find they stayed involved in the creative process. And if you wanna think Bill Clinton played a sax, Hoppeby played a bass, Condoleezza Rice was a concert pianist, almost everybody you look at, you're gonna find, I'm, I'm even, when you think of uh, the president, uh, over in Ukraine. I mean, he and his wife do this wonderful duet on the guitar, but you'll always find that stay involved in something creative. I don't care whether you want to paint, whether you want to read poetry, whatever it is, stay creative because that's what America's best at. And make sure that we're the ones that are coming up with all the bright ideas. And engineering is still a very creative profession. So that's my spiel, even to you guys. It, you, Keep the creative juices flowing, even if you want to be a, a military general. I always say I want, to I want the most creative SOB I can find in a war. Uh, it just, and you'll find many great men of the military. Eisenhower was a painter. MacArthur is a poet. Uh, Churchill was a painter. You're going to find that with greatness comes that creative spirit. And everybody should be working on that. Keep creating. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Greg. 
We'll put all the show notes in, like I said. And until next time, adios. Adios. All right, guys, be careful. Stay well. Thank you for joining us today and listening to this episode. If this episode did help you, then be sure to share it with someone else who needs to hear it. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or are looking for additional help on your journey to find more wealth, scale, and freedom in your AEC company, visit our AEC resources page at spotmigration.com backslash AEC hyphen resources. resources.